it is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had a chance to hang out with Frankie Perez over Zoom video. Frankie has played in numerous bands over the course of his career. He has his solo project. He's played with Scars on Broadway. He's played and toured with so many different artists. He's also uh, played with the band Camp Freddy, Apocalyptica, and of course continued on with his solo project, which we talk a lot about. He was born and raised in Las Vegas. He talks about moving to Orange County for a while, lived in Miami for a while, New Jersey, back to Los Angeles. But during the COVID lockdown, he wrote a little singer-songwriter record, and he was sending it around to different friends of his. And after he was sending this record around, he decided to hop on his motorcycle, drive across the country, and was playing these songs to healthcare workers, nurses, patients, venues that had been closed up. He was playing out in front of these venues. And this sparked the interest of a couple people that invested in documentary film. So they decided to shoot a documentary alongside Frankie when he was doing this motorcycle run. And while he's shooting the documentary, he was also coming up with new songs and writing a bunch of new material. So when he got home, he wrote and recorded the record Crossing the Great Divide, which is his new album. And it goes hand in hand with this documentary. So he tells us all about the motorcycle ride, the people that were involved, the different musicians and people that he met along the way, and all about the new record as well. You can watch the interview with Frankie on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It would be rad if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, it would be amazing if you follow us there as well and hook us up with a five star review. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Frankie Perez. Hey, what's going on, Frankie? How are you? I'm doing good. Sorry, man. It made me uh, register. <laughs> oh, no, it's all good. Yeah, it's yeah, it's basically that's the way of consenting to the <laughs> recording, essentially. Right. Right. All good. All good. Cool. I appreciate you doing this. I'm super excited. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. For sure. So my name is Adam and this podcast is about you and your journey in music. And we'll talk about your new record coming out. Very cool. Thanks, Adam. Appreciate you having me. Of course. Uh, so where, tell me first where you were born and raised. Born and raised in Las Vegas, Nevada. Okay. Yeah. Um, been here pretty much all my life. Left. Uh, I'm 46. I left when I was 18 to pursue music. I've lived everywhere. Uh, a lot of different places, pretty much every music city you can imagine chasing this thing. And, uh, but I always come back. I always come back to Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Did I see that you lived in Miami for a minute? I did. Okay. I actually, in the, I believe that was like the mid nineties. I wanted to, my, I'm Cuban. Both of my parents are Cuban. I'm first generation American. Okay. And, and I figured I was the closest I could get to Cuba without actually going to Cuba. So I wanted to, sure. I wanted to learn Cuban percussion. And, and, and uh, so I moved there specifically for that. And I did, I, I linked up with this uh, uh, percussionist, Cuban percussionist named Lázaro Valdez. And he gave me lessons for a good year. And um, that's something I've taken with me for the rest of my career. That's amazing. Did you start off on drums? Is it the first instrument you learned? 
I did. I did. So I was, I was gravitated towards rhythm and, and, and drums. And, uh, and those were some of the first instruments I got were like Cuban percussion instruments. And I think even in grade school, like I got a drum set and, uh, it's funny when people actually ask me, you know, you know, well, what do you recommend for my kid wants to get into music? I, I literally, it's darling. Think about it. Get him a drum set. I know. It's really fun. get him a drum set. Cause to me, I think it, it, I, I play everything like a drummer. It's all about rhythm. Okay. Right? And, and even like, you know, I don't know if a lot of people do the piano first, but in my opinion, it's, you have this, you know what I mean? This makes this so much easier. I love to hear that. Cause my son is six and we bought him a drum set, uh, during like COVID he was four, he must've been four when it started. And he just has all this energy and I'm like, how are we going to get all this energy out? And a friend, a friend of my wife and I is, is a, he's a great drum professional drummer. And we're like, Hey, like what would be a, like a kit? Like, should we get him a little kid kit? And he's like, no, just get him electric kit with like the real kick drum. So yeah, he yeah, sent yeah. me one and we got it for him and he was just messing around on it for a while. We, I'm from San Diego. We eventually moved to, to Nashville like with like a year ago and we have him, we got him a drum teacher here and he loves it. So now he's just doing that. He's, he's kind of has some, we have a keyboard in our house that nobody can really play well, but he'll go over there and tinker on it. But like hearing that, cause I'm always like, should I put him in piano first? But hearing you say that, like that makes me feel so much better. People, some people might have a difference of opinion, but I just think about the way that, that it, that what it's done for me, like literally everything I think is rhythmic. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And, and, uh, and it's just been very helpful to me. And, and, uh, so I think that's a good move in my opinion. Okay. I, I'm funny. I know a lot of piano players that can't play in time, you know, and interesting. Okay. They need the like click track or something like a metronome. Just like there's just no feel drums give you feel, you know, and the baddest people, musicians we know, like that the world knows are drummers as well. You know, people like Steven Tyler and, and Paul McCartney, like they'll mm-hmm. look at the drummers, you know? Right. It, it comes from somewhere, you know? So, yeah. That's interesting. I was thinking because as a, I never, I mean, I could play guitar and played in like little garage bands with friends of mine, but it was always, we could never find a drummer. So my thing, my thought process was if he can play drums and he's going to have like the pick of the litter here in town with anyone he could play, he wants to play right. with. Right. <laughs> yeah. Drummers are the hot seat in my band. Like it, it's, uh, I go through them a lot. There's a few guys that I like, I hang on to because it's like, it's just such an important part of, of the band. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you don't got a good time, you don't got a good feel, you can, you can pack it up and go home. <laughs> sure. I mean, being a drummer, that must, like when you record your records, do you play everything on the album? Especially, I would think drums because you are a drummer at heart. Yeah. Yeah. So on, uh, on, on the, the new album on Cross the Great Divide, I played probably 90% of the drums on everything. Wow. And then when I didn't, I reached out to like my heroes and, and, sure. and what I love. So I had like, you know, Matt Chamberlain played on a couple tracks. I had Ash Stone played on, on the, on the single. And it's like, it's just another, it's just another level. It's another level. Yeah, yeah, you have to. You're gonna reach out to the the legends that you would like, you know, looked up to, essentially, to have on yeah. your records. I would. I'd have like a like a track, like for example, a song like uh, "The Great Divide" mm-hmm. on the album. Yeah, I could have. I could have done like a waltz thing, but I knew in my mind instantly. I I knew that 
Chamberlain was the right guy for that, right? And so I hit sure. him up, and literally when he sent it back, I, there wasn't even any notes. I wasn't like, oh, you know, maybe go back and try. He just nailed it. You know what I mean? Like maybe in a second, it was like, no, he just nailed exactly the way I knew he would. That's amazing. That's amazing. I want to get to the record because I think it's got a fascinating story. You did like a documentary right alongside it. Um, But real quick, just to kind of catch up on how you got to, I know basically where you are now in a fast forward type motion. Like, so you were first a drummer and then did you carry that? Like, were you in drum uh, line or anything like that through high school? And then did you play in bands throughout that time? I did. So, um, so not in bands. As soon as, as soon as I realized, you know, that I could, that I could sing like like that took precedent. Okay. I did play in drum line in, in, uh, in the sixth grade and I played in, in band in like junior high. Okay. But then high school, I was like, it was all about chicks. So sure. I, okay. Yeah. When did you realize you can sing? I, that's a great point. Cause you've fronted so many bands or sang on so many records and it's like, but you, I was just sticking with the drumming for some odd reason, but, yeah, yeah, no, uh, <laughs> but like, when did you realize like, Hey, like I'm actually an incredible singer too. Well, I, I, I don't think I've, I still haven't realized it. I still have, I still think I'm an incredible singer, but I did realize that I love, entertaining people and it was a lot easier to do um from behind a microphone than it was from behind the kit okay and and, and funny enough my sister's the one that my my older sister was the one that said to me one day that i was actually in my room she she we shared a wall and and i was singing to an old it was like an 80s r&b song it was a a song by a band called after seven Right? Okay, and it was on the radio all the time and i remember <laughs> and i was in my room singing uh uh i give you the sun the rain the moon the stars and the mountains and i was just singing it over and over again and she knocks on my door usually she knocked on my door as an argument right? <laughs> shut up <laughs> like, she knocked on my door there was nothing good coming through like right. was, and she opens the door she goes is that you singing and i'm like yeah and she goes that's really good. <laughs> she goes, that's really good. I go, really? She goes, yeah. And she just closes the door. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, wow, man. And if she, who is like, like the most vicious critic of everything I right. do, I mean, like, I'm not moving part the Parcheesi guys the right way. You know what I mean? Like, like she would give me hell for it. Um, I was like, maybe I, there's something here. And then that was it. I just started singing, just started singing. And, and, uh, in high school, I realized early on, I was like, I, I don't want to do anything else. I, I want to, I, I knew before, you know, I remember teachers saying, teachers in like, in, in, uh, in counselors, like, you know, what are you going to do with your life? You have to decide. You have to, and it's like, mm-hmm. and there all these people were scrambling and I already knew. I was like, I, I, I know what I'm going to do. <laughs> you know, I know where, I know where I'm going, you know, and it's like, it has nothing to do with your, with college. It has to do with mm-hmm. me like, working my ass off, which is, which is what I did, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, do so. So did you play, like, did you front a band in high school? I did. I, I I started my first band would have been the summer of my, uh, summer going into my junior year in high school. I was in a band called, called homegrown. And it was like, 
I remember my guitar player, who's still one of my best friends. He couldn't play standing up. <laughs> sit on a crate and I, and my PA was a little PV guitar amp the drummer had zero timing and like yeah that was my first band homegrown <laughs> that's funny there's a band I don't even yeah. know if you know this there was a band that uh it might have been the mid 90s late 90s early 2000s there was a, like a surf punk band called homegrown <laughs> they used to play in san diego <laughs> yeah, which is funny there's no internet around this time well, of course and we yeah. kind of heard you know what i mean so we heard like like the, the grapevine there's a band you know in california called homegrown so then we then we change our name to soul grown right and then okay that turned into <laughs> that turned into junk hole no idea what the reference is <laughs> and then and then by that time i was off and running and i had you know i was I think i graduated high school and i was a little bit more uh, i was just i didn't even know if like they were even around yet or like they, that's funny that you actually got wind that they were like a thing i just figured like oh there's no internet you guys are in vegas they're in some port part of california i probably wouldn't even like yeah, find that yeah. Out. so years no, later having a conversation, like having a conversation like with people there's a band you know, then I, <laughs> I was also in a band like in when i moved to orange county a band that actually did really well and we were called we were called malfunction but with the proper spelling and then there was there was a band in seattle which was it was the guys from uh some, uh, man it was the it was he was like the musician's musician he ended up he died of of, of of he died but he was in that that pearl jam like alice in chains world and okay called malfunction with like F U N K. Yeah, U N K. Okay. It's I remember getting shit for that. Like, there's a band <laughs> malfunction, and you guys are malfunction, and we were like, it's spelled different. And they're like, doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, did no you internet? Like, right. You know, like, how do you know? That's what's hilarious. Is like, I remember like. I don't know. It must have been when MySpace came around. Then it was like, oh, there's already five. There's like eight bands already called whatever it was. Yeah. And it's like, you got to yeah, figure yeah, out yeah. Who is, which one it was. Um, and then obviously now you could just Google anything and there's probably 30 band names. Um, but so did you go from Vegas then to Orange County or? When I did. Okay. I did. And, I, and that's actually a, a pretty funny too, because in my mind, here's perfect lack of internet knowledge. So okay. Remember, I, I don't know how old you are, but. I'm 37. Okay, so 37. Do you, so do you remember when we used to rock maps? Oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I remember when, like, it was, like, game-changing like game changing when MapQuest happened, and then you could print them, like, off the computer. It was like, oh, you my gosh. You had the paper, you know, like, but, so I remember my, 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 me and my girlfriend at the time, who became my, my first wife, uh, she was good. She wanted to go to school in, in California and we, and we were obviously together. We wanted to be together. So we took a map, took a map and like went, okay, here's LA. Here's where I want to be. She's like, ah, you know, I can't afford UCLA. I can't, afford, you know, but there's this little school in Costa Mesa, California called West Hills college that, you know, the it's affordable. And, and we looked on the map and we just kind of misread the legend a little, little bit. And so in my mind, I'm like, ah, oh, it's like 30 minutes away. I was like, sure. oh, it's basically LA. 
little did I know that there is this big monolith of a of a of a freeway called the 405. Sure. That that's always stopped. <laughs> yeah. That's LA. So basically any trip to LA was a two-hour endeavor. And sure. uh, so I ended up just living in Orange County and I put up a little sign on a, in a music store when you did that as well. Mm-hmm. Singer looking for a band. These are my influences. I answered an ad. The first ad I answered was that band malfunction. We, we put a little record out. We got a little record deal, my first record deal within like a year on this little label called hardcore label called Conversion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and through that, I met uh, David Bino Benavidesti, who is the manager of System of a Down. Um, oh, wow. So he managed, he managed my band and them at the same time. And that's a relationship that continued on to this day. John Belmine, the drummer from System, is one of my best friends. That's how and the Scars on Broadway thing probably came together years later. That's how it wow. happened. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Like I was never, I'd never, I'd known Darren from seeing him on the scene, mm-hmm. but we, uh, we, we never really spoke, you know, and, but he knew of my band and I obviously knew of theirs. And uh, David, their manager, um, hit me up. I was living in New Jersey, like playing on the Jersey shore. And he goes, Hey, he goes, uh, Darren's looking to start a band. Darren and John are looking to start a band. And your name came up. And uh, is this something you'd be interested in? And I'd be like, yeah. Two days later, I'd flown to LA and I tried out for them. And I got the gig like on the spot. And wow. that was that was one of the, one of the, the, the coolest uh, eras of my life musically because I really, really loved that band. Like that band... And that lineup was doing something really special. And Darren, working with a guy like Darren was 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 pretty amazing. Yeah, great band. I mean, I remember when it was announced that that was a band. I was like, oh, wait, the guys from System are in another band? Like, this is so awesome. <laughs> like, seeing like some of the shows you guys were playing, like a Troubadour and stuff. I'm like, how are they, you know, they're going to obviously pack this place. But then it would be like yeah. the Coachella lineup also. And I'm like, how, like, this is crazy. Yeah, it was, it was a great run and you know, their fans systems fans. And, and, and I've been very fortunate like that opened a big uh, uh, door for me, even mm-hmm. with their fans, they are so passionate about those guys so that when they came to watch uh, scars, the record ha- was out, not even days. These people knew every friggin' lyric. I remember like just looking over them and they're like, how is this even possible? Like, like I don't even know these lyrics. Like, you know, <laughs> how do they know these lyrics? They're, yeah, it was really special, man. Great pets. That's, that's I'm so glad cool. he's continued on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, th- yeah. so you were in that malfunction is what you got signed to a label. You guys were doing stuff. And then at what point do you go, you know what? I'm going to move to Miami. I really want to learn how to do this Cuban percussion. Like, that just seems like right. such a different path. Yeah. So, so the, so I got to go back a little bit. So, okay. So yeah. My, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so my, my, uh, I grew up in a very musical household um, and in a different way. Like I, I mute fans of music, like true audiophiles to me are just as important as virtuoso musicians. Mm-hmm. Right. Like they carry the torch. Right. And they, and, and I, and I, I even, I'll even meet people that I'm like, I learn things about, they can't play a single instrument, but they can tell me who played what instrument on what album. Right. Mm-hmm. So my dad 
was one of those guys. My dad loved music, right? And so even when things were volatile in our home, music was this like calming thread, right? We woke up to it. You went to sleep to it, I mean, even to a point where it's friggin' annoying, dude. Like, <laughs> like it would be like, you know, I'll be seven in the morning and it's like Celia Cruz, don't popping, boom, boom. It's like, it's not a bitch. like, you know, it's like friggin' Saturday. Um, but uh, so he had this great vinyl collection of everything from like salsa music to rock to swing to jazz to deep, like bebop jazz to James Brown. So I cut my teeth on that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and I, from early age, I grew an appreciation for all. I never was like, this is lame because it's not cool. You know what I mean? Like, because kids aren't into it. I'm not into that. That you know, I was just schooled on, on good music. Right. So, um, and I appreciated it all. So basically I wasn't afraid of any genre and still I'm not like to me, an artist is an artist. I, I see myself as an artist first. I can perform and do whatever I want because I'm an artist. You know what I mean? I, I'm, I don't, I don't need, I don't need to, to box myself in. I choose not to, I'd rather park a car. You know what I mean? Like, I, and so, and it's, it's been very helpful through my career. Like I've been in very different types of bands and played a lot of different instruments and, and worked with a lot of different people but it's because of that versatility and my love for so many genres. So how did I go from, from uh, scar or from, you know, malfunction to, to the, to Miami, to a singer songwriter record deal on lava in the early 2000s, the scars in Broadway. After that, I went, it happened because of my pure love and honesty in when it comes to music, Mm -hmm. no one questioned it. You it's know, amazing. Like yeah. Cause a lot of people, I mean, I, myself included growing up was like, Oh, and I grew up at the time of, you don't want to sell out. And if you liked you punk rock music and you liked rancid, you weren't allowed to like, you know, anything else. It was like, you have to play. And it was like, you boxed yourself in. I felt like myself included in that world. Right. Yeah. You know, man, I, it's funny. Like I, I've had this conversation with people and it's like, what what is punk rock right like like right. for example and to me the whole the whole energy of punk rock is going against the grain right mm-hmm. and sure. making statement making your world i'm going to give you a perfect like what's more punk rock than if that is if that is the the then an elvis presley doing what he did in the bible belt when right. the entire world was against it or a chuck berry right and and like doing what he did and shaking and throwing the guitar and dancing and all this stuff in this very very conservative period of time and it's that's punk rock that Mm -hmm. takes balls of steel you know sure so so when i when i put things in perspective like that like you know i know a lot of guys i've been i've been in some heavy bands right and i've been on tour a lot Right. And I've seen some of the heaviest bands backstage that are nothing like their music or the people they are on stage. Right. I mean, like, and it's like, you got to do it. You got to do, you got to be honest, man. Mm-hmm. You got to be honest. And at the end of the day, no matter what genre you choose, because people don't give the fans and the listener enough credit. They're smarter than you think. 
they know when you're faking the funk. They know. Mm-hmm. Right. Even if they can't explain it. So a guy like me, you know, I believe it or I don't do it. I've never done a gig that I don't believe in. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like there's been some situations that, that I felt were compromising that I just didn't do. You know what I mean? It had nothing to do with genre. You know what I mean? It had to do with kind of like the whole thing around it. But so the bands that I've been in, the, the, the projects I've been in, they, they were on it. There were, there were real and honest parts of who I am and, and everyone's accepted it. I've been very fortunate. No, I you love know? that. Yeah. Cause I, I didn't realize until years later, like the punk rock thing, like, Oh my gosh, like what so-and-so is doing. They're not a like that genre doesn't explain what they are, but what they're doing is punk. Uh-huh. You know, it's like, it's like that idea that I, you know, it took me years upon years to figure that out. But like, as a kid, it was like, Oh, I can't like that band for that reason. And then like years later, I'm like, wow, I was an idiot. I missed the boat on that guy. Like those guys are this band. It's funny. You talk to guy, talk to any guys. Like I've, I've even had like, okay. The grandfather, godfather, one of the, of like seminal, if not the punk band, the punk band, the sex pistols. Mm-hmm. Steve Jones is a friend of mine, right? Wow. Mm-hmm. Right. And he's, that guy is a friggin' audiophile. Every, the types of music that guy listens to, it's, it's, it runs the gamut of everything. And I, I defy anyone to tell me that that guy is a punk rock. <laughs> right. That's a great point. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like I'll, 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 can I give you a quick story about. Oh, this? no. Yeah. Go ahead, man. This is awesome. I just want to take your time. <laughs> stories I tell about him that it maybe he's not even too proud of it, but it just I think it helps. It's it's it just adds to the lore of of that guy and who he is. So we were in this we were in this band together called the Ducati All Stars, right? Where mm-hmm. it was myself, Steve Jones, um, Billy Duffy from the Colt, and Billy Morrison, who now plays in Billy Idol's band. Oh yeah, I know Billy Morrison actually. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I yeah. Great dear friend. And he's a he's a great guy. Yeah, he is he's a dear friend. And and uh, so us four got on. We made this deal with Ducati where we jumped on their motorcycles and we rode up the coast and we played at, at different at different um, uh, dealerships, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for their diehard for their diehard customers and and uh, and then we filmed a little documentary. The last stop on on the trip was in Seattle, right? And by this time, Jonesy was done. Like he he was done being on the motorcycle. He was done being on the road. He just wanted to be home. And and we are we're playing in Seattle, places packed and at this dealership in Seattle, places packed. And there was a really diehard uh Sex Pistols fan that had brought his customized Ducati to be signed by, oh, by, wow. by Jonesy, right? Okay remember Jonesy is is over this at this point and he's <laughs> sure. like full horns like coming out like he's just ready he comes down they're like they're like Jonesy you have to sign this you know would you please sign this one second he's like oh fine give him a sharpie he walks by this guy's bike right and these are expensive bikes and he, yeah and we're headed to the stage he draws the <laughs> The biggest penis and testicles on the, <laughs> on the side of this guy's motorcycle. Oh my god! 
drops the pen and then just walks up. And I saw the whole thing. I was like, and I watched this poor guy, the blood drain out of this guy's face. And I was like, in my mind, I was like, dude, you just handed a sex pistol a pen. Like, what do you think was going to happen? Right. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Have a great night. Great meeting you. Yeah. No, you thanks for the support. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Rock. It's too Unbox. bad he didn't sign his name because then it could have been like, he drew this, but you know, he drew it. Then now it's just like, oh yeah, sure. I yeah, I, I bet he's yeah. the one that drew that on your mic. Yeah. <laughs> to me, I, I was already thinking, I was like, if I would have been that, I get the guy was up in arms, I guess. Like, I think he threw a fit and repaint his tank. But to me, I was like, I would have. I would have taken that tank off, hung it on my wall, and just got a new tank. Right, exactly. I would have just this put a different one on. Amazing. The story is amazing. That's know? incredible. Uh, and this was a this wasn't the current or the most recent tour you did, right? No, for the documentary. No, no. This is a different documentary. So, but that's okay. what part of that relationship with uh, with Ducati and what became the Crossing the Great Divide documentary. Okay. Uh, well, let's get to that. I mean, I know you've done a, a ton of things and just looking at like Camp Freddy. I, I mean, that's where I knew Billy Morrison from originally. And I worked with him a little bit in LA a few times, but uh, just like you've done so many amazing things, but I want to hear about this, this record and on in this documentary that you did, because it's really such a cool story. Thank you. I appreciate that. It, it's, I'm really proud of it. And, uh, and I'm, and I, I can't wait for people to see the, uh, the, the finished products. It's really beautiful. Um, so basically what it was during the height of the pandemic, I had made this little acoustic record called suddenly 44 and I made it basically for my friends. It wasn't supposed to, I wasn't putting it out, nothing. I made it for my friends and I was just sending it to people. Cause if you remember, it's like, we were just, that's when we were completely isolated. We weren't even allowed to go out and go to stores and you had to be in a hazmat suit to go to the, to, 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 to hunt for the non-existent toilet paper. Right. Uh, uh, so I made this little record just to send to friends. And one of the people I sent it to was uh, the president of North, of Ducati North America, Jason Chinook, who, and who was the guy that put together the, the Ducati All-Stars years prior. Okay. Um, with Jonesy. Um, and I, I just sent it to him as a friend, like, that's it. Hey, man, check out this record. And when he heard it, he's like, man, this is really special. You know, we put our heads together. Maybe we should do something that we can reach people in a safe way. So what we did was is I got on, 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 on one of their motorcycles and I went and visited shuttered uh, venues. Because remember at the time, there was everything was shut down. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. And I would play little little shows outside of them. And then we decided maybe we can perform at healthcare facilities safely from a distance outside. That's cool. That's so yeah. Cool. So we put together this, this little idea. What I did was I started in Vegas, went up to, to Los Angeles. And then from Los Angeles, I went to uh, San Francisco. And then I made my way across the country to Manhattan and visited shuttered facilities, healthcare uh, facilities, and, 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 and played for them. Um, when we got to D.C., there was a, these investors that had invested in, in films before and they were like, Hey, have you ever considered they were at, they were at this little show we did at a place, uh, a, a club, um, in, oh, man, why am I spacing on the, uh, on the name of the club, uh, in DC, they were at this little private show that I did. And they were like, have you ever considered making this a documentary? It's really special. And I'd never considered that. Um, but little, I put together this team. We ended up shooting this documentary. This time I started in Florida, made my way back across the country to Los Angeles. But this time I 
visited, not only did I visit healthcare facilities, but I visited, you know, uh, different celebrities and, and peers of mine, music people, and basically asked how they were faring through the, through, through COVID where they saw our lives, you know, after, and, and it became across the great divide. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which in turn, I had so much time. It was six to eight hours a day on a motorcycle for 30 days straight. I had a lot of time on my own and I basically wrote this entire album, um, on the way back it's a companion to the uh to the documentary so when i got home i had all this material and i just locked myself in this little studio and i made that album well so you were touring on the the songs that you were kind of sending out to people originally yeah and then the documentary came about and then you wrote the songs kind of based off of what the documentary was what was happening when you guys were filming yeah yeah wow experiencing the time and it's like and when you hear it, it's, it's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a peace and a hope to this album that I think it's going to translate. I think people are going are, are to be able to put the two together. It, it's, it's, a, it's a road trip record, you know, and, uh, and I learned so much about myself and, and about humanity on that trip, man. It's like there's nothing like being on the road on a motorcycle to, like, really find yourself. I really believe that. It's like, you know, and uh, – and, it, and it's apparent on this on this new album. And when you rec- when you get home to record the record, do you do it what at your house? I mean, you're sitting next to some drums. Like I don't know if you did this like in your house and like how uh, locked down was the world still. You we were still locked down, but uh, it and but also I I wanted it to be, you know, some of it I recorded at the Killer Studio here in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. and then some of the stuff I sent out, but the majority of it was here on my time at my pace is what I wanted, mm-hmm. right? There was no label involved at the time when I started making it, no one breathing over my shoulder, no one asking for singles, right? And basically what I did is if I, sorry. No worries. So basically what I would do is, is I would sit down and, if, and record and write. If I wasn't feeling it, I would get up and just mm-hmm walk and go do something else and I, I wanted this to be completely organic right and that's tough to do when you're paying hourly at some state-of-the-art studio <laughs> right right you kind of have to go in there with an objective more so than like i'm gonna just tinker around and see what i can come up with today yeah you know like those 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 old school budgets are gone so <laughs> and, and i've been in studios long enough and been, or, been made enough albums that i knew what to do here on my own and i got some really good sounds and really good stuff and so yeah the majority was recorded here on my own in my in my little studio wow i know you have a, a feature from uh, on the the great divide the the single but do you have any other people playing like uh, from what i read about the documentaries like you know you have billy gibbons in it and in different you know big named people are any of them on the record are they just in the film and can you like how are they involved in the in the documentary as well so um yeah, so no one, none of those people, re- none of them made the, none of them were on the album, um, mm-hmm. but um, there were definitely there were things that I learned from the from from those people that that definitely inspired music. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as guests on the actual album, um, what I like we discuss if 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 I heard a, if I had a song that I had a particular feel for, right or uh, a piano part that I knew was outside of my range. I reached out to the, guy. Oh, to those people. 
Got it. Those people like, you know, Jamie Mahobrak played keys on, on a couple of songs. The guys played on every friggin' like, uh, like hit you can imagine, like record you can imagine. He that's another guy that just friggin' mind blowing. It's like, I sent him uh, uh, the track, gave him some parameters of what I heard. Oh, I kind of hear, you know, like this Mellotron sound from like, from uh, from a Donovan Donovan record, blah blah blah. And he would know exactly. He'd send it back, and he'd just nail it. Um, and uh, so he was a guest. I had um, Ash Sohn played drums on the single Night Is Love song. Um, Matt Chamberlain played drums on a couple songs. Uh, Topanin from Apocalyptica, one of my great friends and and bandmates, played on on the Great Divide. Yeah. That ninety percent of the if was I performed the all just you. That's amazing. Very. And with with the documentary, is this going to go and like coincide with it as far as like, is it part of the like score or anything like that? Or is it just two separate things? Yeah. What's really cool about the documentary was that they be being that I was performing some of these songs throughout the entire filming of it. Oh, so some of these were you were playing on this tour too. Yeah. Oh, so I was thinking you're only doing those the songs from that 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 uh, singer songwriter thing that you were sending out to people. No, it was like oh, okay. I was performing them and and uh, kind of going and going back to my older catalog. So uh, what happened is it organically became the 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 soundtrack and also like the the, the score. Oh, so rad! Okay, there's a lot of the way that they edited it is really beautiful because there's a lot of there's a lot of space. Right and, and and silence, but then when there is a, when there is music, it's it's me. It's mm-hmm. not some guy scoring the the some guy in some in some studio in in L.A. You know that doesn't have a connection to it scoring it. So it's all very honest and organic, and 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 it reads really well. That's amazing. And uh, how many cities do you do you hit? Do you remember? I mean, it's, I have it somewhere. It was, it was ridiculous. Okay. <laughs> it's all good. You were basically traveling the whole U S doing this. Yeah. That's so 5, cool. Miles, 5,000 miles, three to four shows a day. Oh, wow. Yeah. Three to four shows, like acoustic shows a day and one, the two interviews a day. in different <laughs> So, it, and, and, you know, we had, and we did it, it took about close to 30 days to do it. Wow. So, yeah, it was gnarly. So we weren't going like this. We were going like this. Sure. Yeah. Like however you could get it to work out. Yeah. It sounds like that's so cool. And is yeah. the record coming out the same day as the documentary or are they? Documentary comes out a little bit like a little bit later. The album comes out June 24th. Yeah, um, I saw that. And but the, you yeah. know, the documentary is going to it's not the same thing. It's not just like, oh, here's the documentary and here's the record together. It's, yeah. it's separate yeah, pieces. Standing, but but they 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 both complement each other. Amazing. Well, I can't wait to see it and, and, uh, and check out the record as well, man. I love what, what it sounds like so far. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm yeah. very proud of it. That's so yeah. cool. And thank you so much for, for hanging out with me today, Frankie. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. I probably, probably, probably talked off a year, but no, I no, no. That's what I, this is what I, that's what I love about this is I, I love finding out all these things and I really appreciate the, t- the time you've spent. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate you as well. I have one more quick question, though. I want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists. Um, okay, I do. If uh, so you measure success 
people measure success differently, right? Like what I used to think success in this business was is very different from what it is now, right? Like basically I used to think I was that, that fame and videos and all these things was, was success. Longevity is success, right? Longevity in this business to me, like I've been able to, to basically stay working for a long time. Learn, learn your job, learn your job, learn it well, right? Do your job and go home. Leave drama at home, no drama. That's why I keep getting work and that's why I keep performing because I just show up, I do what I do and I go home. I don't want to involve anything else. That's it.